Greetings, salutations, and welcome to The China Guy, a podcast about the history, culture, and current events of the country of China. My name is Sean Lavellet, and I am your host, The China Guy. In our last two episodes, we discussed the final decades of the 20th century, particularly China's economic growth and the causes behind it. Today's episode, our third, will go much further back in history, about 1,500 years to be precise. Let's begin. When I say the name Confucius, who comes to mind? You are probably picturing a Gandalf or Dumbledore type character, and possibly some profound quotes on a Pinterest board. Many might picture an elderly man with a long white beard bestowing sagely advice on eager listeners. But Confucius, like many things we will discover about China, is so much more than a stereotype, and his impact on the history of China, East Asia, and the world is still being felt to this day. While his philosophy was not immediately embraced in his lifetime, over the centuries it has become ingrained in Chinese culture, impacting Chinese politics, statehood, and communal life. As an aside, I would like to clarify that in this episode we will be covering Confucianism solely as a philosophy. While the religious aspects of Confucianism are worthy of study and discussion, this episode will solely cover the philosophical and historical impact of Confucius to allow a sharper focus. My proper series on Chinese religious history is currently being researched and will appear on this podcast in the near future. But enough about that. Let's dig into some ancient Chinese history. China, at the time of the birth of Confucius, was not a safe place to live. Forget about emperors and dynasties. The last dynasty, the Zhou dynasty, had begun to dissolve and had no real power or control over China. Historians refer to this time as the Spring and Autumn period, during which China was dominated by six aristocratic families who were almost constantly warring and scheming against each other. The kingdom of Lu, in which Confucius lived, was ruled by one of those aristocratic lines. For those with a knowledge of Middle Eastern or Biblical history, it may be interesting to note that these events occurred alongside the Babylonian invasion and destruction of the Kingdom of Jerusalem, as well as the rise of the Persian Empire and the life of Cyrus the Great. Confucius was born into a dynamic time militarily, but intellectually he was right on cue. Beginning in the 6th century, just before the birth of Confucius, intellectual movements began springing up across the divided China and became collectively known as the Hundred Schools of Thought. This period gave rise to some of China's most famous philosophies and religions. Legalism, known in Chinese as Fajia, is one of the most famous ancient Chinese philosophies and played a large role in the development of the Chinese state. Legalism is a pragmatic system that assumed men had no moral instinct and without strict guidance would be given over to wickedness and vice. Legalism states that this guidance must come from the state, which should maintain strict power over its citizens. Legalism is important to our story, and we will return to it again shortly. Taoism is another famous Chinese philosophy and straddles the gap between philosophy and religion. Known in Chinese as Dao Jia, this philosophy seeks to live in harmony with all things and teaches its followers to live a life of gentle inaction and oneness with nature. Ancient Chinese historian Sima Qian, when describing Taoism, stated that its principles are simple and easy to practice, it undertakes few things, but achieves much success. 
Taoism is often difficult and baffling to understand, but was an important folk religion in China, blending with other philosophies and exists to this very day. A less well-known philosopher from this time is Mozart, who founded the school of Moism, or Mojia, in the original Chinese. Mozart taught universal love and peace to his followers, putting him in conflict with legalist beliefs of harsh punishment. He also emphasized frugality and possessed an egalitarian spirit, claiming that there should be no special consideration in society based on status. As we will see, this will contrast strongly with Confucian tendencies towards elaborate ritual and hierarchy. You may notice a common thread through these differing philosophies. Each one sought to define a proper code of human conduct, whether it was harsh legalistic obedience or Taoist non-action. There are some obvious reasons for this. The spring and autumn period was defined by disorder and confusion. In particular, the old agricultural ruling class of lords from the preceding Zhou dynasty lost much of their power. Without dynastic rule, power switched to the hands of local warlords, and the aristocratic ruling class that existed for centuries began to disappear. This breakdown in elite power sent many of these ruling lords seeking new forms of the social contract. Many of these elites became the scholars and philosophers of the hundred schools of thought. In this time of disunity, people were simply seeking a way to bring about an orderly and safe society. They were, in their way, trying to figure out how to live together. This spurred the development of the hundred schools of thought, into which Master Confucius steps center stage. In 551 BC, in what is now the coastal province of Shandong, a baby was born. A baby that was humbly named Kongqiu, but would grow up to be known as Kongfuzi, or Grand Master Kong, more commonly known in the West as Confucius. But he was not always Master Confucius. He had to grow up a little first. While details of his early life are spotty at best, it appears that Confucius was born into a minor noble house in the service of the state of Lu, yet his family had fallen on hard times. Confucius' father died when he was very young, so he was raised in poverty by his mother, was educated in schools for the common people, where he learned the six arts of ancient China. Ritual, music, archery, charioteering, calligraphy, and mathematics. I would like to note here that the family of Confucius has sometimes been traced back to the Shang dynasty, the first recorded dynasty of Chinese history. Yet the truth of this claim is unclear. It could have developed after his death, to denote some royal ancestry to Confucius. As an adult, Confucius served as an advisor and a high official for the king of Lu, developing his philosophy and trying desperately to get the different kings and rulers of the spring and autumn period to accept it. After two years, Confucius left the Lu kingdom and wandered ancient China, seeking a place for his ideas. After a long period of wandering, Confucius returned to Lu and set up a school, where he spread his teachings and philosophy. Confucian philosophy can seem complicated and dense, yet it distills down to some very basic ideas. At its core, Confucianism concerns itself with human relationships. How do we relate to each other? How do we do it well? And what is my role? There are three core ideas at the center of Confucian thought. 
The first idea is known in Chinese as Li, but translates to a process of living in harmony with a moral code. This is the very start of Confucianism. If we are to leave behind the barbarism of the spring and autumn period, we must develop our Li, or our moral code, and stay transfixed to it. The next concept is known as Chunzi, or in English, the cultured or enlightened gentleman. A Chunzi is someone who is living out his moral code. He or she is deeply connected to their Li. The final concept at the center of Confucianism is Ren, translated as the sympathetic connection or empathy between two people. It has sometimes been compared to the unconditional love between a parent and a child. Under Confucianism, if two Chunzi meet, it should naturally follow that they will develop a relationship of Ren between each other. Now, I know I am throwing out a lot of Chinese terms here, but all the puzzle pieces fit together pretty snugly. A Chunzi, or enlightened gentleman, possesses Li, a moral code, so that he can have Ren, or an empathetic relationship, with another Chunzi. And that's it. Really. Confucius spends his entire life developing these ideas, like defining the moral code and the relationships between Chunzi and how to best achieve the sympathetic connection of Ren. But at its core, Confucianism is this simple and direct. Just like any other philosopher of this period, Confucius was figuring out how to get people to live together in peace. Yet he was trying something a little different than the other philosophers. Confucius saw this philosophy as a restoration of the Zhou dynasty, which saw a unified and peaceful China. Confucius did not believe he was developing something new and radical. He simply felt his ideas were a return to mythical China, where philosopher kings ruled and everyone was a Chunzi. Confucius used these basic building blocks to delineate exactly how this restored Chinese golden age would work. Under Confucianism, each person is a node in a complex web of relationships, each with different rights and responsibilities. These responsibilities exist from the top to the bottom of society. A parent had a responsibility to raise their children to be functioning members of society, while each child had a responsibility to respect and serve their parents. Even rulers had a social imperative to benevolently lead their nation in exchange for the loyalty of their people. Confucius called the well-functioning version of this the Grand Harmony, and he says it best, really. This is directly from the Analects of Confucius, the written recordings of his teachings. When the emperor rides in the carriage of virtue, with music as his driver, when the different rulers meet each other with courtesy, the officials regulate each other with law, the scholars urge one another by the standards of honesty, and the people unite with one another in peace. That is the health of the world. This is called the Grand Harmony. Powerful stuff, huh? As you can probably tell, Confucius cared deeply about these issues and spent his life seeking a well-ordered and harmonious society. Unfortunately, he would never see the Grand Harmony realized, as he died without his ideas really being adopted by any of the rulers of his time. So that should be it, right? Poor Master Confucius, a man just trying to fix the broken world he lived in, died in obscurity, and his philosophy faded into the night? Well, 
If you know where I'm going with this, you will know that's not true. Confucian philosophy eventually became the order of the day in the Han Dynasty, nearly 500 years after the death of Master Confucius. But that, dear listeners, is a story for another episode. Next time on The China Guy. Poor old Master Confucius died, but we know his philosophy lives on. How does it go from just one of a hundred schools of thought to becoming the system that runs dynastic China? What about the other philosophies, like legalism and Taoism? Will they intersect with Confucianism again? How does China ever get itself out of the mess of the spring and autumn period? All this and more on our next exciting installment of The China Guy. Thanks for listening. Zai Chen.